This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Total Saints Podcast. This is the dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. I'm Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners on Twitter. And as ever, I'm joined by Adam Leach, the Chief Sports Writer at the Southampton Daily Echo, at Adam Leach Sport. And Steve Grant from uh, his parents' house in Romsey this week, season ticket holder at St Mary's and owner of saintsweb.co.uk, at Steve Grant 1983 on Twitter. Normally I'd say evening chats, but uh, due to some uh, aforementioned arrangements, Adam, it's Sunday morning and we're uh, recording now. So good morning. Good morning. I feel I feel remarkably fresh to be doing this podcast. Normally, the opposite uh, of Steve, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps we keep slightly different hours. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, and what a good morning it is, eh? I, I, I've almost got a spring in my step after yesterday. That's remarkable, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. incredible. I can. I still found myself even. Uh, yeah, and the evening after the game, sort of shaking my head every so often, and kind of did, did that really happen? Was that kind of all a bit of a weird dream? I don't know. It was. Yeah, okay, obviously beating Tottenham is a weird dream, but just the way it happens to be so just totally battered in mm. the first half and to and you know, at half time to think, you know, they could rack up a rugby score here, Tottenham, the way the game was going. And to to then go and sit back in your seat and literally three quarters of an hour later come away going, Oh yeah, Saints won. I know. It's just like incredible. How, how does that happen? What a bizarre sport football can be sometimes it's just amazing absolutely amazing a game of two halves as they say and uh, Steve I imagine there was multiple Jaeger bombs last night from the sounds of it uh, yeah there might have been a few um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I um, yeah I was at a house party for a surprise 40th birthday for someone and um, uh, someone thought it was a good, a good plan to leave me in charge of the Jaegermeister <laughs> there you um, go you see very predictable 
the narrator, this did not end well. <laughs> okay, so uh, good stuff. So, well, obviously, uh, to sort of uh, buck uh, Steve's energy up a little bit, we're going to have a, a chat through the Tottenham game, and we'll also look back at the Saints accounts that came out earlier this week as well, and uh, sort of questions that they raised, which is generally uh, the case with Saints, more questions than answers around sort of sponsorship and the future and uh, some of the numbers. I thought before we sort of got into it, it's been a little while since we've done a, a, an FPL uh, TSP League update, so I thought it'd be good to, uh, to do that. Obviously, uh, as everyone knows, I think Adam Leach doesn't change his team every week, so Romelu Lukaku's uh, well yeah been getting you some points Adam the last few weeks obviously he scored twice against us and uh, twice against Palace so uh, you've certainly uh, rocketed up the table you're now uh, I was looking at the uh, league this morning so you're now 145th out of 158 Adam on uh, 1,374 points so uh, talk us through that well rocketing up the league yeah why not it's a bit like Saints rocketing up the league isn't it they've kind of gone from 17th to 16th but you know when it's when it's slim pickings when you're already pretty near the bottom that feels fairly significant to me and you know it's a there's still a long way of the season if that trend were to continue if I were to continue to pick up that many places then a top 10 finish is not out of the question I would say (laughs) I'm in 50th position on 1600 points and Steve is uh, 41st at the moment on 1626 I should add that the uh, what Even the time what? that you two put into it that's embarrassingly bad <laughs> at least I've, i'm rubbish but i've put no literally zero effort it's the top it. third of the league though adam so we'll take that i think but uh, i should add that it's uh only been updated after saturday that I, I think i was looking at yours steve when i was uh, checking the points i think you got a few players playing today sunday myself as well um in terms of the top five so let's just rattle through those so um in fifth place at the moment is adam kassam with clumsy fc on 1779 points fourth is matt ashley with uh, 1,800 points his team at Priory Park 11 split the atom Tom Bryan is third 1,811 points second is Bob Brown who's been right up there all season I know listens to the podcast with his team Magic 68 1,838 points and in uh, first position at the moment Liquid Football with Mike Hopkins 1,867 points so uh, a great effort there the uh, trophy is gathering dust somewhere at my uh, my house I can't remember where I put it but it's around somewhere so certainly all to play for but uh, look moving on to the pod anyway this is episode 67 sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk happyhottubs.co.uk at happy hot tubs we specialize in hot tubs it's all we've done for 35 years so if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone then we're the place for honest clear and friendly advice plus right now we have zero percent available on our hot tubs meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments you deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit happyhottubs.co.uk. Happyhottubs.co.uk. 0% excludes free throw range. Spurs were the visitors to St Mary's this weekend in a game that finished after an emotional roller coaster 2 1 to Saints. As we were sort of briefly mentioning on the intro there, Adam, a tremendous performance by Saints, particularly in the second half, and more importantly, a very, very crucial three points. Well, what a day, really. What a day. Yeah, just just a crazy, crazy game uh, in so many ways. There's just there's sort of so much to talk about because there were so many chances. There were incidents. There were talking points. Um, I'm sure we'll get on to Kevin Friend as well, the referee who was uh, who was awful um, as well. <laughs> and we said uh, it every week. But- we, well, we did well. I mean, we certainly said it last week for United. But I mean, to be fair, I wish now I wouldn't have moaned about the referee United. He seemed positively competent compared <laughs> to Kevin Friend. Um, yeah, uh, it was just extraordinary. There was just it's hard to it's hard to almost have digested so much of kind of 
what happened. But as I said, kind of in the intro, the um, first half, I mean, really, it couldn't have gone much worse, could it? Other, other than Spurs actually scoring the number of goals that they should have scored, which would have meant the game would have been out of sight. And yep. against a top 16, how often are you let off the hook like that? Um you normally that's it. The game's over, and then the second half they're just knocking the ball around at the back and mm. and playing for time. But Spurs weren't ruthless, surprisingly. Um, Saints did ride their luck a little bit. Um, obviously, I'm thinking mainly of the uh, Yoshida off the post incident, um, yeah. and, and more more than the off the post incident, the fact that the ball came back and hit him, <laughs> and and nine times out of ten that just pop straight back in the net somehow it kind of got stuck like under his leg and under his ass didn't mm, it basically mm. god knows how and they were the saints were able to uh to clear it um i also thought that um the first of what was to be a litany of kevin friend related errors um w- was remarkable and i think Romeo really should have been sent off i mean it was he'd been booked um after about nine minutes mm. for a very cynical foul no arguments there and then he was the one who committed the foul for when Ericsson hit the bar after 20 minutes from the free kick. Yep. But Kevin Friend uh, got it completely wrong, I think, and booked Valerie instead of what would have been a you know a stonewall sending off for Romeo and Saints down to 10 men for 70 minutes against Tottenham. I, it's pretty hard to imagine that they probably would have got a win out of that game. So, yeah, they kind of rode their luck, really, in the first half. And then... The you know something had to change. Harson Hootel made the two changes, um, and the game completely flipped. Uh, Saints were were Tottenham actually that much worse because Pochettino was saying after the game, oh kind of we we didn't we just didn't take it seriously in the second half. We you know basically it was so easy in the first half because Saints were so appalling that mm. we just we the players just thought we don't even need to try. Whether that's true or not, or whether Saints kind of took it to them a bit and then Spurs just didn't have it in the locker after kind of a hard midweek game, it's hard to really judge. But despite Spurs having one or two decent chances in the second half, Saints were by far the better team in the second half. And a kind of role reversal uh, were on the end of some uh, questionable refereeing. And were it not for, let's be blunt, some pretty poor finishing when they had some good chances as well, yeah. might have won by even more. Yeah. It might have been a more comfortable win. Just an extraordinary game, but the mood at the end was quite incredible. I think at 1-0 midway through the second half, the news came through that Cardiff had made it 2-0 against Mm. West Ham. Um, And I think with Brighton having already won, um, obviously we didn't know what was going to happen in Newcastle at that point. They were going to have this remarkable comeback against Everton. But uh, I think it was a bit of like, oh, blimey, it feels like a... It's going to be a long road to the end of the season now, mm. um, back in the bottom three. So to kind of have picked up that unlikely win on the day when everybody else won, just an amazing feeling, really. And the only shame is that having beaten Fulham, having had an amazing performance against United, albeit narrowly lost, and having had an amazing, well, an amazing game against Tottenham, albeit only 45 minutes of great performance, but got a, a big win, there's such a feeling of positivity and momentum to have a three week break now is just, Oh, I just, know. just an absolute killer. And Ralph was 
was really kind of afterwards was a bit kind of delighted, but also deflated about that kind of just admitting, well, we've got all this momentum, but kind of you can kiss goodbye to it because we've got three weeks of that game. But an amazing day, an amazing day. What, what, as I said, what a silly game football is. Steve, I'm not going to dwell too much on the first half because I think none of us really care about that now to a certain extent. But just briefly, do you think um, Saints maybe showed Spurs too much respect or do you think we did sort of get maybe tactically off a little bit? Well, little from A and little from B, to be to be honest. I mean, it was weird that we were quite happy to sort of press Spurs pretty high up when they were knocking it around between Larice and the and the centre halves, and yet when Spurs then got the ball in our half, we were we were standing off of them. Mm. Um, that seemed a little bit counterintuitive to me. But Spurs were basically playing a game of rope a dope against us in the first half, in that they were sort of playing around with it at the back and kind of lulling us into this idea of, oh, yeah, we don't quite know what we're doing here. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden, we'd, so we'd have three players press on to their defence, and then all of a sudden, they'd go long and cut out our, our midfield, and all of a sudden, you've got Kane, Ali, and Lucas Moura running at our back three yeah. in acres of space. And for them, that was I mean, that, worked, that worked out superbly, apart from, obviously, the fact that they didn't manage to take any chances. Mm. It's weird that other than the free kick... Um, that Ericsson hit the bar with and the near own goal. Yep. I don't actually remember them having that many chances. It was really weird that for all their obvious domination of the, of the game, they seemed quite happy to be kind of just knocking it around, like just playing pretty little triangles around the edge of our area without really trying to actually hurt us. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess what Pochettino um, said makes, makes a fair bit of sense in that we made it so easy for them that I think they kind of just thought, well, yeah, okay, well, we've, we've got this one already, lads. Yep. And then once we made the changes in the second half, all of a sudden you've got Long and Sims, who have both got a little bit of pace about them. I mean, certainly far more than um, Austin had. And all of a sudden we're putting balls into the channel and and Long is um, making Vertonghen and Sanchez have to run back towards their own goal. And all of a sudden, they're not quite sure how, how this has happened. And they then can't regain any sort of foothold in the game or any, I mean, any sort of real intensity to it. And Spurs were really flat in the second half. Look, I mean, we obviously all love Ralph anyway, but massive credit to him then after that battering in the first half, Steve, to get the lads in, change it tactically, make some positive moves, and uh, I guess more importantly, get some belief into the team that they could go on and win. Yeah, definitely. Um, and substitutions obviously worked, all three of them, in fact, because I mean, Armstrong was only on the pitch for, what, 15 minutes or so, and... Well, essentially, effectively, two assists, mm. um, having been fouled for the uh, for the free kick. Yeah. And as a manager, that's you can't really ask for much more than that for for the three changes that you make for every single one of those players to have a have a positive impact. Because um, I mean, obviously, as a sub, you never get the full game, so you're kind of relying on them to just do something a little bit out of the ordinary in that short space of time. And all three of them contributed greatly. I thought. So Ralph obviously was a happy man, uh, much more happier than uh, after Old Trafford, and he caught up with uh, SouthamptonFC.com after the game to talk about the first half and, of course, the second half. I think the first half was very difficult because uh, we played against a fantastic team. We have so much quality, and if you are not 100% sharp in the, in the counter-pressing, then you have no chance to, to create troubles. And the second half was much better because we had we had more ball wins in their half. We had um, more pressure on, build, on their building up the game. And suddenly you could feel that uh, we had chances and we we had more more impact in the game. 
but you know that Tottenham is a team, they always can score the second goal, so it was uh, yeah, all in if you want, uh, bringing two strikers in the halftime. But you have to do it because you don't have to lose anything uh, if you are once one, one down. Um, and the second half, I think, was uh, one of the best in this year. It's weird, Adam, under Hasenhutl now because uh, under 14 games at home under Claude Puel, Maurizio Pellegrino, and Mark Hughes, we of course didn't win any of the games uh, against the the big boys. Now that's two wins in three at home against them under Ralph, against Arsenal, and then obviously yesterday against Spurs. The only game of the three we lost is to the uh, potential champions Manchester City. So. For a team that's lost umpteen games against those uh, big boys, quite a turnaround in that form as well. Yeah, and it's it's strange, really, isn't it? Because um, whether it's whether it's a sort of a belief thing that Ralph has put into them, I don't know. Because Saints have have actually generally, you know, we've said while well, we've been doing this pod, you know, the last almost two years now, invariably Saints have competed pretty well mainly with the top six you know you're going to get the odd game against teams of that quality where you obviously just can't compete that's that's everybody's going to get that outside the top six but they've actually competed pretty well and they've really run a lot of those teams very close and given them a good game on quite a number of occasions in fact you would argue that much of the time they're actually kind of putting better performances against those teams than they have against kind of the everybody else type of teams, especially at St Mary's. Um, so it is weird. So whether it's a belief thing or whether it's a, you know, a tactical thing, I don't know. I mean, Ralph did talk after the game against Tottenham about how sort of the way that Tottenham play, the way, the way they play the, the sort of pressing game, um, and particularly the way that they play what he calls like the counter press. And what he meant by that is they play the ball around at the back uh, kind of around their own penalty area, which looks a bit um, harem scarum at times, but is obviously a very deliberate tactic because it, it kind of pulls you out mm. to press them. Suddenly you've got three or four players out and then they're very quick at then one pass, bang, switching yep. the play straight out. And suddenly they are effectively on the counter attack, um, despite having had the ball at the goalkeeper's feet to start with. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of game that Ralph is slowly trying to bring in at Saints and he'd like them to be able to play obviously it's a hard game to play because if you make a mistake then you probably concede a goal um but it does but- feel I think it does feel that you know to me watching them that he is more a little bit more gung-ho you think of the three previous managers I mean we'll, we'll not forget Mark Hughes talking about damage limitation and things like that where it did always feel under those guys we were just going out to we we thought we were going to lose but we try and lose by the least few we could so we didn't damage our goal difference I mean in that interview that we just heard there he said about going all out because they had nothing to lose at 1-0 down so it does feel that he is much more attack-minded and that he'd rather lose 5-0 being 1-0 down at half time but there, there's going to be the odd opportunity where like yesterday you're going to turn it around and win a game yeah, I think he's still a realist. I mean, he did say in the press conference, because it was 1-0, had it been worse than 1-0, then I think it would have been more damage limitation. Yep. Um, but at 1-0, you've got a chance. I would like to think that other managers might have done that as well. I don't think Claude would have done. He was very cautious, um, as we know. Hughes, uh, hard to say, really. Yeah, we saw kind of saw so little of Hughes in a way that what can you say? And obviously half of it was at the end of last season when things were very different. Um, Pellegrino was, I think, would do it, but would have waited longer. So I think you're probably right in, on reflection that, you know, kind of Harsen Hootel makes, I think, is making more positive and bold decisions to try and affect games from the touchlines. Yeah. Um, he has come in for a bit of criticism as well uh, for not having done that a few times. And and I think that 
the way he's he's trying to do it now for me is quite a sensible way because I know sometimes it's very easy to look at the game and I know a lot of people say well why do we keep like three center halves a lot of the time when we don't need them perhaps especially against the, the lesser clubs um, at home where where we end up often with a lot of the ball but um, I think he's trying to at least keep a, a sort of shape and a, and a sort of structure of play that is relatively similar and then change out the sort of some of the you know more forward thinking players and try and just change the dynamic because he has got a different dynamic as Steve said from having Austin on the pitch mm. to having sort of a, a long sims on the pitch that is going to change naturally the dynamic of the team just by making those changes with, without having to disrupt that pattern and structure that, that you sort of have worked on all week. Yeah. In hindsight then, Steve, as Adam mentioned earlier, of course, Cardiff beat West Ham, Newcastle turned it around against Everton, Brighton beat Crystal Palace. So it was a massive win for Saints in terms of the uh, closeness of the of the bottom half of the league, keeping them out of the relegation zone for this three weeks. Um, I think Cardiff's next three games are Chelsea at home, Man City away, Burnley away. So that's quite you know confident from a Saints point of view, hopefully. But I think, you know, it was the standout result down there for Saints, but you can't really put a price on just how important it really was. Yeah, I mean, just the the psychological effect of still being above that dotted line, having got this run of games, well, mostly out of the way. Obviously, we've got Liverpool to come in three weeks' time. Mm. But yeah, going going into the obviously the enforced FA Cup break and then the international break immediately after that, still being um, kind of above that dotted line is is huge in terms of the psychology of it and sort of thinking, okay, we've, we've definitely got this in our own hands now. And I was going to say, from a Cardiff point of view, I think they probably would have fancied to beat West Ham. They would have probably thought... Spurs are more than likely going to beat Southampton, therefore we'll be above them come the uh, three-week window. So again, psychologically, from that point of view, a bit of a signal for them to get back in the changing room and see that we'd actually turned it around. Well, it'd be a huge blow. And I would imagine that the crowd would have reacted accordingly. I mean, obviously Cardiff going 2-0 up midway through the second half and obviously having that game won fairly comfortably. Mm. Um, everyone would have been in a great, great mood. And then obviously news filters through um, of two goals in four minutes for us to turn it around and all of a sudden the atmosphere there goes flat again and yeah I think um, particularly with uh, Sol Bamba having been confirmed as having done his cruciate ligament and is obviously out probably for the rest of this year I would imagine yeah yeah I mean that that could be a, could be a potential hammer blow for Cardiff Picking up a, a couple of players then, Adam, um, we've already spoken about Stuart Armstrong, but Josh Sims, he's been away on loan at uh, Reading, necessarily didn't set the world alight there, admittedly they've struggled a lot this season, he came back in January, we've not seen much of him other than a, a few sort of training photos, came on at half time yesterday and uh, arguably was one of the key factors in turning the game around. Really a uh, very interesting move from Ralph, I think, uh, to bring Sims back into things, it has been seemed a little bit strange because they've kind of felt as if they needed that kind of injection of pace. They've they've had Elianusi really as that kind of wide player to bring in off the bench, but Elianusi A has struggled and B uh, doesn't add that kind of more dynamic element that Sims can. You've mm. already got Armstrong who can play more of a sort of a slightly more conservative role if you need it. So it has seemed a little bit weird that Sims hasn't been involved. It's almost felt to me as if you needed somebody who knew a bit more about uh, the team already there to have kind of taken Ralph to one side and have said, look, you really need to have a look at this guy, yeah. which does make me question kind of what Kelvin Davis's role is in the whole setup. Um, or, you know, maybe, maybe he just doesn't rate Sims. I don't know. But um, because I kind of think that they've had that player there but they, they haven't used him. That said, 
you do wonder exactly what's been going on with him and what his form's like because obviously he was sort of been fringy Premier League player mm. so you would have expected him dropping down to go to the championship on loan at Reading he would have been you know kind of in his element and having a you know would have been a really great championship player yep. and yet has struggled to get in the Reading team at all and has kind of been sent back basically because he can't even get in a team that's been largely struggling in the championship for quite a lot of the year so all a little bit strange, but basically I, I did ask Ralph about it and, and he said, well, he just kind of hasn't been convinced that he's been, I think his word was strong enough right. um, for the level required, basically. But in the last week, he had been really impressed with his training and so wanted to kind of get him involved almost to, to try and make this point of if you train really well during the week, I'm going to notice and you're going to get included to try and I think keep that focus in the players minds you know day to day as it were that they need to keep trying it's not just on a game day yeah and then obviously he thought well I need an injection of pace if as Steve said if we're going to kind of turn Spurs around and try and uh, and actually affect them that way we can't just use long we need somebody else and as well as Redmond as well and they chuck Sims on and then he's got his chance and I would say he's absolutely grabbed that chance and and you know he's sort of almost in one 45 minutes I think has kind of returned to that position that he was in previously which was going to probably be a regular fixture on the substitutes bench and can he be more than that which is always a question that we've asked um and and thus far he hasn't been more than that really and when he has started games he just hasn't had the same uh, kind of impact as he has coming off the bench but I guess we wait and see we're kind of another year down the line now has he matured um has he sort of developed into somebody who can who can do something else like a you know he's, he's I think he's 21 now I think I'm right in saying so right. he's kind of that age where you kind of feel it's about the right time for him to make that step up now yeah I think as you say it'll be about consistency for him we've seen the impact that he's made on the odd game you remember the Everton Cumin game and everything like that but uh, another academy prospect um he used to be a skate but he's all right now James Ward-Prowse Steve we've spoken about him a bit the last few weeks but Another stunning free kick from him. We know that he's one of those lads that practices and practices on the training ground, and when he's finished practicing, he practices a little bit more. But it's been really good, I think, for us as fans to sort of see the last few weeks that practice finally paying off where they're hitting the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, what, what we've tended to see from him is um, a lot of very near misses, a lot of balls clipping the outside of the post or um, ending up in sort of clipping the side netting and, and things like this. And, and now we're finally seeing them actually find the top corner. Um, I mean, I do think Lloris kind of gave him a bit of a helping hand with that one yesterday in that, I mean, surely he, he saw the footage of the of the one that he scored last week. There's only track. one place he's going to put it, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's going over the wall because Walpress doesn't have the, he, he doesn't have the option of just sticking his laces through it and hitting it the other side um, and trying to beat uh, beat Lloris for, um, for power. So he's always going to be putting it over the wall. And yet Larice is still insistent on, I mean, I know it's, it's generally seen as the done thing for keepers that you position yourself just the side of the wall so, you, so that you've got a clear, clear sight of the ball. But I think in that situation, um, where you just know exactly where the, where the taker's trying to put it, I think surely he's got, to, he's got to take at least one step to the right. Um, so he's at least vaguely central. And I think if he does that, the only thing then is you're seeing it late, I guess, mm. but that would have given him more chance of saving it because it wasn't it wasn't right in the corner. No, 
when you look at the the replay from kind of behind Ward Prowse as he's taking it, it hits the back of the net a good sort of two feet inside the post. Yeah. So it's not as if he's like got it right in the side netting and it's absolutely unsavable. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously it's a, it's a great free kick and he's he's hit it well, but I think Lloris didn't give himself a chance. Suffice to um, say that suffice to say that Hugo Lloris is in Adam Leach's fantasy team, so that probably explains it all. Oh, excellent. That, yeah, that, that definitely, uh, definitely explains it. <laughs> um, just, I mean, joking aside, Adam, I, I guess the one thing I was thinking about last night when I was sort of putting my notes together is, is, is also that he's now getting the responsibility on the pitch to take these free kicks. Because I guess you think about the last couple of years, maybe it's been Prowse, he's a youngster, we'll shove him to one side, Tadic will take it, Bertrand will take it, Cedric will take it. But he's now the one, he gets the ball, he takes the free kicks, there's no argument about that. Well, I mean, he's a senior man now, and so he should be. I mean, he's, what, mid-twenties now. He's not He's not a kid. You know, he's not a youngster. Longest um, serving player at the club and all that, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. He's played, what, 200, almost 250 games, I think, for Saints now. I mean, he's 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 not a kid. And, um, you know, he's a, he's a good example, isn't he, for, for what Saints want um, through the academy system. And, and, you know, we have these discussions sometimes, and... We have them in the press box as well. It's like, who's the who's the latest kid coming through? Mm. And you look at them sometimes and you think, oh, they're 22. Yeah. You know, well, that's not a kid. And War Prowse proves that because he's 24 and he's played more than 200 games. He's a senior player now. He's almost he's an he's an international footballer. Almost certainly going to get another call up now. Yep. Um, back into the England squad. Saints aren't going to have that many players getting international recognition regularly given at the moment given they're where they are in the premier league so yeah that makes him one of absolutely the star men and and one of the first names on the team sheet and yeah he should be um not only respected for that but also at a point where he has got the confidence and the belief to say no this is mine i take these you know go away this is you know if you play 250 games for the club come back and speak to me then I guess that only comes with playing games and being confident in your place in the team. And, and that is something that he very much has now. And Christian at SFC underscore Christian, who uh, did our graphics for us and is a great graphic designer. If you need any graphic design done, I saw he'd uh, tweeted to say that Prowse is now the uh, number one ranked English midfielder for goals this season. So Andros Townsend, Jesse Lingard, Damari Gray, Bobby Reed, Mikel Antonio, James Madison, Deli Ali, he's above all of those now. So it does say a lot for uh, how many goals he scored this season. Um, just before we finish up then, we've mentioned his name a couple of times. We can't... Uh, Probably, again, just like last week against Manchester United, end our section on Spurs without talking about Kevin Friend. Um, there's a famous Spurs chant about Harry Kane being one of their own. Yesterday, of course, Steve, Saints fans were singing, Kevin Friend, he's one of your own as well. Yeah, I mean, that was just an extraordinary display of staggering incompetence um, <laughs> from pretty much from start to finish. But, I mean, I'm struggling, genuinely struggling to think back to one that, that is anywhere near um, that level. I mean, perhaps... Maybe one of Peter Wharton's ones. He had a couple of games, I think, down at Mary's where where he was just absolutely abysmal. I think there's a Leeds game and then that Brighton game where he gave that penalty for a foul on Font that was clearly three yards outside the box. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's just absolutely staggering yesterday. I mean, there's one absolutely nailed on red card for Sissoko uh, yeah. late on. Yeah. Um, which, which nothing will happen about he, because he's been booked. Yep, exactly. Um, so the uh, the FA have um, tied their hands behind their own backs. Now they won't be able to do anything about a clear example of violent conduct. Yep. It's not even the the big decisions that were the biggest problem for me. It was just that every single little decision 
he got wrong. Mm. There were 50-50 challenges where both players um, competing for the ball, just a bog-standard um, challenge, no foul made from either side, and automatically whistle blows, free kick the top of them. And it was just, just seemed to be the default position throughout the, and particularly in the first half, when at a point where we were obviously struggling to get out of our own half, the, every time we got on the ball, all of a sudden, oh, play's been brought back and, and he's given a free kick to them. Just extraordinary. The thing that also baffles me, I weirdly looked this up uh, last night, because I think someone asked me so when, because obviously we ended up winning the game, when was the last time that we actually won a game and, um, with Kevin Friend refereeing? Oof, um, yeah, and actually, actually, no, it, it has actually happened t- uh, two or three times. All oh, right, there you go. Um, yeah, but what did strike me as interesting is that Three of the last four years, Kevin Friend has been appointed to Saints against Spurs, which mm. I find I find very strange given mm. the number of the number of referees that are on the list. Um, I mean, I think there's either sixteen or eighteen on the on the list this season, and obviously that list. I mean, it, cha- it changes from year to year. Two or three either retire or drop down the level, and and obviously they get replaced. And yet to have the same referee doing a thick match three years out of four seems very odd. Mm. And almost as if it's kind of by design. Yeah. You would like to think that, I mean, A, that Friend will end up, I apologise in advance to Championship or League One teams who are, <laughs> who are going to get to the benefit of, um, of him being dropped down a level for, um, for a few weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's got to be stood down for a time because as much as referees have got a hard job and, and all of this and it gets analysed to the nth degree through the, through the media and, because you've got thirty odd cameras that pick up everything, and the referee can't see everything. Yeah. But these are things that the referee should be able to see. Yeah. And they were all just so obvious, and he's missed everything. He's got everything wrong yesterday, pretty much. And how is he getting away with it? It's just ridiculous. Um, I mean, Saints should be putting a complaint in to demand that he doesn't referee us again. Whether we get anywhere, I don't know. Probably not. But uh, I believe, having looked it up uh, last night, I believe Kevin Friend is a Leicester City fan. So I, I should say that there doesn't appear to be any Tottenham bias there. But you never know. But uh, look, Adam, I, I happen to see a friend of mine is a Bournemouth fan, and I saw that they had Kevin Friend uh, against Manchester City last week. And if you uh, if you do a search on Kevin Friend and hashtag AFCB, I'm not saying you, Adam, but if people wanted to, it's amazing how many comments you'll see about his performance down at the Vitality last week against uh, Manchester City. I'm, I'm not overly concerned about that one because I think most of us want Man City to win the league anyway but uh, and it was you know from my view I didn't think Sterling was offside last night either but uh, just in terms of referees Adam I saw Keith Hackett said that this season was the worst he'd ever seen of course he's a, a previous uh, referee um, you know this isn't total refereeing podcast but how do, how do we make it better because it seems to us like PGMOL and uh, Mike Riley who wasn't a great referee anyway he's the general manager then is doing very little about the standard of the referee and so how does it get better because it does feel like week in week out we are just talking about the same incompetencies the big six bias VAR isn't going to solve it all well we're relying on VAR solving it all aren't we because I don't I don't see how it is going to get better you like you say we don't want to get into a total refereeing podcast but obviously the essence of the problem I think comes from the lack of people taking up refereeing at grassroots and the reason for that is um, because of the absolutely disgusting and appalling levels of physical um, and verbal abuse that referees have to put up with just going and refereeing parks football, which is how, you know, you get people into refereeing at a lower level and then you obviously end up producing your professional referees from that. Um, Professionalising refereeing was supposed to be the golden bullet to improving the standard 
of refereeing and whilst i would agree that it has improved the fitness of the referees which is important in an athletic league Apart from John fast Moss. league well okay but <laughs> you know ge- generally across the board i think the referees look much fitter than they were and they can kind of keep up with playing given the yeah, I agree. the athleticism of the teams these days that's that's not something we should take for granted yeah but in terms of the standard i i think i would agree it's been a poor year i don't generally like to dwell on the refereeing performances too much simply because i've kind of had this sort of slightly weird view that um i know most people probably don't agree with that they are in well, I suppose people who do agree they're in the impossible job due to, as Steve said, the the amount of coverage. What can you do? I mean, you're constantly being told the whole time you're wrong and your errors are constantly being highlighted. So you either have to put up with it or you have to introduce technology. But even then, I think the problem we've seen with the technology and, and, and Ralph spoke very interestingly about it on Thursday and we'll be doing I'll be writing a bit more about it this week from his views. But he very much believes that the the referee has to retain control even in VAR situations. He doesn't want, um, obviously there has to be certain checks taking place on major incidents, but he doesn't want any big decisions taken away from the referee. Mm. The referee should review all the footage himself, according to Ralph, which I think is correct, because you are still always relying on on a human ultimately and we've seen instances in the early days of VAR with Saints whereby we've had the technology and the incorrect decision has still been made yeah um in my opinion yep. and and we really haven't got any closer to to clearing it up and it's a bit like you know you look at the Saints stuff yesterday there are some black and white things that could be ruled on VAR there Kane is he or isn't he offside for the goal that can be ruled on VAR uh, VAR could probably have made a case quite easily for was it Walker Peters being sent off because they could have confirmed he was the last man when Armstrong was through. Yep. VAR probably would have had Romeo sent off because they would have uh, correctly identified, I think, that he was the person who committed the foul that would have led to a second booking. Yep. VAR would have been able to have had the Ward-Prowse free kick taken from the correct position because mm. Saints got the benefit of Kevin Friend getting that one wrong as well because um, you know, if Ward, that pro- free kick's taken from another, what, almost 10 yards back, which is where the foul was committed, then with all due respect to Ward-Prowse, he's probably not scoring from there. Um, yep, Sissoko probably gets sent off on VAR. Um, as Steve said, it's, uh, it's basically the, the list of decision, major decisions that Kevin Friend got all of wrong and VAR probably hopefully turns them around because I don't honestly see that unless we get VAR in and we get a a working system for VAR which we don't have at the moment a framework for it to kind of operate in I don't necessarily see that it's going to change because I just don't see the incentive for for youngsters to come into refereeing lower down the levels and I think that ultimately that eventually you get that feed through I mean there's all that it's no different so I'm going on a bit of a rant now, but it's no different than 10 years ago. You know, the game had this great introspection as to why is the England team so bad? Mm. Why are we getting no youngsters come through Premier League clubs? And we, you know, the game has taken a good long, hard look at itself. And we have started to produce more homegrown players as a result of policies that have been put into place. Now I feel like we, we kind of need to have the same look at refereeing and say, well, why are we not getting these referees through the system? Because ultimately... Another 10 year lapse happens 
and you see the result, which is that you get substandard referees. And then even the referees, good referees we did have, the likes of Clattenburg, we haven't been able to retain. So, you know, if we're serious about sorting out the problem, and I, I don't know whether we really are serious about sorting out the problem, we need to look from the bottom up rather than just complaining about how terrible the refs are at the top. We need to say, well, what, what has happened lower down the leagues? And for me, it's the disintegration of Parks football for you know a whole heap of reasons that I could spend another 20 minutes ranting about, <laughs> but I won't. And that is ultimately why... Uh, why we haven't produced really good referees, I think. Yeah, that's fair enough. We just had a great tweet that literally just come in as we've been on the podcast from Tom Woodock. He said... Shut up, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> why are the refs in the Premier League so poor? I'm asking for a friend. Excellent. Very clever. Um, good. Right. Just briefly then, Adam, to finish off, we spoke about the three-week break. Positive, negative, it's come up to the, the time. You know, the likes of Cardiff aren't playing during that time either. In fact, they will actually play the day after we've played at Brighton at uh, home to Chelsea. So... Let's look at it from a positive point of view. We've got three weeks off now. We can all enjoy it off the back of the Spurs result. We can get Danny Ings fit. We can work on a few things and have a full energy to run to the end of the season, right? Yeah, why not? Why not? Let's look at it positively. It's a positive weekend, so we should look at it positively. Yeah, uh, I think getting Ings fit obviously is going to be, hopefully, a pretty substantial boost. It's pretty obvious that, that and Ralph is making it fairly clear, I think, that that he wants Ings back and he very much sees Ings as coming straight back into the team and playing as the, the main striker for the rest of the season. And that will obviously be a huge boost because Saints have been so reliant on other people scoring goals, i.e. not strikers. And really, you know, they kind of have got through this period admirably well, to be honest, in terms of goal scoring. But you can't go on forever not having the focal point of your attack contributing no goals. You need you need them to be scoring. So getting Ings fit will be huge. Yeah, I've got to be completely honest and say while we're being positive and and it's very positive for the fans, you know, we can really, you know, supporters can have a really upbeat time and I guess the players can kind of be fairly content as well. The momentum cut here is is frustrating, Um, but I guess the only thing I would say on the flip side is Brighton have won their last two and Brighton's the first game up after the break. So they're going through a similar situation. They're also feeling... A little bit of upward momentum. They're pretty happy with life, I imagine, at the moment. Pretty confident. And they are also kind of being stalled. Um, So hopefully in in that sense, it kind of will be kind of one all when you start the game, if that that makes any sense in, uh, in that respect. And yeah, I mean, Saints have to just be positive about it and just look ahead to Brighton and go, well, yeah, like you said, Cardiff aren't playing until the next day. They've got a very tough game. So uh, Saints have got to really, I think focus on Brighton I know they're going to have a friendly uh, this week to uh, to get Ings some game time mm-hmm. um, and they're also going to be setting up in the week because they've got all the all the squad this week basically they'll have a couple of days off I think but then they will literally be working specifically for the Brighton game now Ralph did joke he said I don't almost don't know what the point is because of course half of them disappear for a fortnight and by the time they come back they will have forgotten it all <laughs> but um, which is probably true. But nonetheless, they're going to start working for Brighton um, when they come back to Staplewood middle of this week for a few days. So there's kind of a chance to kind of get some of that feeling together as of what they're going to do. And that's all they need to focus on when they come back, because, you know, then then they've got Liverpool the following week. We well, don't worry about that, because if they go to Brighton and, and get a win there, then they're they're almost home and host.
Podcast. Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Adam Leach and Steve Grant. Sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. Earlier this week, Saints released their accounts for the 12 months up to the end of June the 30th, 2018. Adam, you wrote in the Daily Echo on Wednesday, though the club is unquestionably still in a position of overall financial health, with a pre-tax profit of £35.2 million, albeit £8.4 million down from the previous year's £43.7 million. Turnover fell by nearly £30 million as a result of a poor season. Steve, there's probably nothing particular surprising about that when you think that we had no Europa League, no League Cup final, and obviously finished 17th in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're dropping nine places in the league. That's going to cost you... I think it's about two million pound per place, uh, more or less, with the the way the prize money is distributed these days. So, yeah, I mean that that's going to account for nearly twenty million quid off the bat, and then as you say, the the cup runs and and things like that were were diminished. Although, I mean, we obviously got to the FA Cup semi final, so we've clawed a little bit back there. But yeah, I mean, I think most of the results were kind of as expected. Adam, you met with Toby Still, the managing director at Saints, to have a chat about the accounts before they got published. Um, did you get the impression that the club are still fairly happy with life, or do you think it's been a little bit of a reality check? I think they're still relatively happy, uh, not in terms of how things have gone. I mean, they're not complacent about the fact that the team finished 17th and, and are kind of on target for a similar type of season again this year. I mean, there's nothing to be pleased about particularly there other than the fact that you have just about avoided relegation. But um, in terms of the actual financial health, I think they are fairly pleased. I mean, it's obviously interesting that it's the first set of accounts that happens during the GAO takeover period. Yeah. Um, so we kind of get the GAO accounts for the first time, if you like. And it did at least confirm that there hasn't been debt leveraged against the club, as it were, in terms of or put back into the club to pay for the takeover, which I know a lot of people have talked about, on, especially on social media. Um, that That isn't the case. It, it really is running as a self-sustaining business, and, and the profits um, is there in black and white are being reinvested. Whether you think that they're going to the right areas and they're being reinvested wisely or not, that's a completely separate debate. But yeah. in terms of just the black and white numbers, that the money that the club is generating is being kept within the club. The debt levels are low and are falling further as well. The Saints are in a position very soon where their kind of working capital facility that they use is going to be the only debt and that's only normal debt because that's just borrowing to pay back because of the timing of the Premier League payments to kind Mm. of tide you over because they come in tranches so yeah I mean there's plenty to be positive about there really I think yeah it's just in terms of just the black and white numbers and the question is uh, are Saints allocating that spending to the right areas or not and, and spending the money wisely but like I said that's a kind of slightly separate debate to what I, I'm talking about with Toby, which is much more the black and white numbers, as it were, of, of the club's financial health. Yeah. And Steve, one thing that jumped out at me was the uh, wages to turnover ratio. So that rose to 74%, although players' salaries saw a modest decrease down to 85.2 million per annum, which works out at just over 1.6 million a week. Bearing in mind that's sort of squad that's underperformed quite a bit for 18 to 24 months, and you think of we've largely been fighting relegation uh, battles during that time. Do you think we've sort of potentially rewarded mediocrity a little bit, or can you understand that the Premier League is all about money, and if you want to compete in it, even at the bottom end, you need to be paying premium wages? Uh, it's a bit of both, I think. I mean, as you say, we've we have underperformed, but also, as you say, the um, the wage bill has decreased. Yeah. Um, but of course the revenue the club's generated has decreased at a faster rate. Mm. So 
it's kind of a you know, and the the wages to turnover in, increase is kind of a little bit of a red herring, I think. I mean, it's fairly, I think it's fairly obvious that the club is trying to kind of redress the balance and uh, try to get rid of some some high earners who aren't performing for the club. Yeah. Um, I mean, quite a lot of them have been farmed out on loan, and we can expect sort of renewed efforts to bin them off completely in the summer. Mm. Whether we can actually get rid of them because of, as you say, the the high wages that they're on. Um, I mean, who knows? We may we may still be saddled with um, these transfer mistakes for two or three years yet, and then you're kind of reliant on whoever replaces Scudamore at the Premier League, mm. kind of reliant on them carrying on his good work in terms of being able to maximise the um, the sort of value of the Premier League, I guess, in terms of broadcasting deals. Because mm. if if those deals suddenly fall off a cliff. Then you're going to see quite a few Premier League clubs in a bit of um, a bit of difficulty, I think. Yeah, and unsurprisingly, with high tickets and match day experience prices, Steve, um, and I guess more importantly, such poor entertainment on the pitch from Saints uh, four fans, uh, a decrease of 3.2 million there. Um, I guess ticket pricing obviously came up, so well done, Adam, for for sort of raising that with Toby. But you know, still was quick to say that he's not seen anything around new plans or new numbers for for season tickets or match day prices. They are in chats with the the likes of Saints Voice and that sort of thing. We've spoken about match day tickets for prices for quite a while. It's been a, a challenge for many fans around the Premier League, and that cost versus return, etc. So, I mean, what would you like to see if we just focus on Saints, bearing in mind the efforts of the last couple of years and the entertainment that we have? Had, do you think it should be a decrease? Um, well, I think they've frozen the prices the last couple of years, mm. and what we're seeing on the pitch has got worse. I mean, I think we can all, we can all see sort of signs of promise um, at the moment, but there's nothing guaranteed. I mean, we're still two points above the bottom three, and so what they're offering is weaker than what they're offering two years ago. So I think that if they want to get people back on side sort of fully, I appreciate that. Pretty much everyone is behind Hasenhutl and and what he's trying to do with uh, this set of players. Yeah. But that's not really been reflected in the in the attendance figures. Mm, true. Um, I think I think yesterday's the first sellout we've had all season. Even the Man United game didn't sell out, and normally that is that one you you struggle to get a ticket for if you if you haven't got a season ticket. And games like yesterday um, will keep them coming back. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're competing in these sort of games and and winning them, then yeah, by all means, you're going to see a return of a number of people. Mm. But I think that the likelihood is that we, you can't sustain performances like yesterday's second half yep. over an entire season for a club of our size. Mm. So you've got to accept that you're pro- like half your games are probably going to be mediocre and therefore you've got to price accordingly. And I don't think they're doing that at the moment. Um, so my season ticket in Northern was 570 mm. last season for a renewal. Now it was interesting that they've decided that renewal and new season ticket prices were just going to be the same price. I think I saw something from the from the Saints voice that that's going to change again next season. So sort of your continued continued loyalty of, of the people who have been there through this yep. will might actually get rewarded next season. So whether it's a case of the current prices are frozen for new season ticket holders mm. and uh, renewals are given a reduction of however much, as I say, mine in the northern in block forty is um, was five hundred and seventy quid. Yeah, thirty quid a game. If you drop that down to five hundred, I think that would be I think that would be reasonable. Yeah, um, and sort of decreases sort of in line with that across the board. 
And I think the club would probably get some, um, most of the existing season ticket holders renewing, whilst some at the moment are probably still wavering mm. because there are reasons why people can't make every game and 30 quid pro rata um, isn't that much of a saving on the match day price of, a, of an individual game. You've got to kind of offer people an incentive to dole out that sort of money up front. Just finally then, Adam, sponsorship. Virgin Media's deal is up this summer with uh, betting firm Rumours. Unfortunately, Gray, I had to uh, agree with uh, Dan at Carith Coney, who uh, tweeted um, he lives down in Melbourne. I know he listens to the podcast, so shout out to you, Dan. I'd be extremely disappointed if Southampton go with a betting company. I get the pounds attraction, but it's a plague on the support and the fans. I want us to be better than that. Would guarantee I don't buy a shirt from them until the sponsor changes again. I have to echo those. I think uh, I've always been kind of proud, and I know the club has spoken about ethics before, Adam, of uh, not having a betting firm on the uh, sponsorship of the shirt. Do you think the pressure around big money for that is starting to uh, make it harder to ignore well i think it is hard to ignore because um southampton have to be able to compete as a business and and an extra i don't know but i'm going to pick a number out of the air several million pounds a year that is a considerable amount of money that goes you know quite, i know people say oh, it doesn't go that far in terms of buying a player but actually you know what it goes a long way in terms of what we're talking about which is probably funding the wages for a for you know a new star player or something is is it's a lot um or a lot of the other side projects that they want to do in terms of improvements to the ground and things like that it pays for all of those so it is kind of hard to ignore because other people are doing it does that make it right for you to do it no not if it's not right for you to do it but i think it's been interesting because um I just asked a question out of interest, really, of my own interest in terms of what they would do, knowing the Virgin Media deal was up. And it was not by design, but mm. I think it has been an interesting exercise. That I imagine Saints have looked at because there's been a lot of pickup on on that element of the story. The actual accounts, you know, when I look at the numbers of people who have read stuff and I look at the engagement on it and comments and things on my own Twitter feed and stuff like that. Um, the accounts are just kind of what they are, aren't they? We saw that there, were, yeah, there wasn't really a lot to report, in all honesty. The yeah. you know, turnover dropped a lot, as you said, expected due to what had happened. Um, and, and really not that much else to talk about. But the sponsor stuff proved um, a massive talking point and, and there was a lot of interaction. So I imagine that it's, it's been useful for the club, as it's turned out, almost accidentally, to kind of gauge the temperature a little bit on on what the mood of the fans was. And I think for my own... A uh, very unscientific, you know, look through uh, what's been said. It seems to me to be very much a 50-50 split for people who are very adamant that Saints should kind of be better than that. Um, and even if that means taking, you know, quite a lot less money uh, and, and some who say, well, look, you know, everybody else is doing it and, and it's not that big a problem. I think the one thing from the point of view I would say is, is that though, I tend to agree, and I think it is a major issue. The Premier League is not going to, I don't think, anytime soon, take a decision to blanket ban gambling advertising, and nor and and you know more uh, pertinently, perhaps because the Premier League probably won't because there's money in it. The government, I don't think, are moving in that direction at the moment, like they did with tobacco advertising. So, if you go to St Mary's and you go to any other Premier League football ground, you have banner advertising for gambling shoved in your face pretty much the moment you get yeah. through the turnstiles to the moment that you leave the ground it's it's there it's it's everywhere and so i do have certain sympathy with well given that we're not 
you know, we're not so morally opposed to it that we're going to not have it on our flashing advertising hoardings around the ground or we're going to ban betting uh, outlets from within the concourses and things like that. Then, you know, what difference does it really make if there's a name on a shirt that's a betting company? You know, you either kind of you either morally opposed to it and you you get rid of it completely or you, you know, or you may as well cash in. So I have a have a certain sympathy with, with that point of view as well. And I. It'll be very interesting to see the route that Saints decide to take with this uh, and whether there's a middle way, whether they can find some way of, of kind of finding somebody else, as it were, that kind of is able to pay more but isn't quite such a you know a toxic thing as sort of gambling in sport, which is you know so such a sort of plague, it seems, at the moment in some ways. So I think I've just come um, up with the perfect idea, Adam. I think if we can get on. a few more TSP patrons through patreon.com slash Pod, we can sponsor them. Let's do it. I mean, Let's we've probably it. got a couple of hundred quid already between us, haven't we? Yeah, we must have. I mean, yeah. we, we we could we could at least buy the um, sleeve sponsorship. <laughs> I thought that was going to be Steve's face, Steve's face on the sleeves of every Saints player next season. That would be amazing. Do, that would be great. No, no, nobody needs to see that. <laughs> I think that just so to conclude, that's just the other thing that they could do potentially. I think with the Virgin deal is that they could have Virgin Media um, still on the shirt, but be able to potentially. Um, sell like the other areas of the shirt that you can sponsor like mm. the sleeves and things like that so that might be another way of kind of trying to do it um, Virgin is the main shirt sponsor still potentially and then you know to bridge the financial gap to have somebody else sponsor the sleeves and and would it be as offensive if a gambling company was on the sleeves and not on the front I mean I don't know but I, I really don't know but like I said when you've got gambling all around the ground at the moment um, and, and gambling advertising it seems hard to say we're taking a massive moral stance because what you're basically saying is we just won't have them on the front of the shirt but interesting I think it was a really interesting um, thing that came out of the account in fact I think it was probably the most interesting thing that came out so along with the you know the amount of money the Saints are committing towards the women's teams as well mm. women's mm. and girls teams I think those were probably the, for me the two most interesting things to come out of it all yeah well we'll have to wait and see hopefully that gives you uh, some thoughts and insight into the accounts which uh, as ever with Saints often and ask more questions than they provide answers. Thanks so much for listening to this week's podcast. I think we all prefer producing and I'm sure listening to a happy winning podcast. Saints now have three weeks off until the Brighton game. So plenty of time for all of us to take in the win, relax a bit and uh, probably enjoy life for a Saints fan just a little bit more. We'll be back soon with an interview from former Saints midfielder Glenn Cockrell. Thanks to some positive networking from Leon and Will of SaintsArchive.com. Just briefly then, Adam, any plans for the three weeks off in inverted commas? Not really, no. I mean, mainly just just working still. I think actually plodding along. Ever so the it's professional, two... ever the professional. Wow, ever, what a pro! Eh? It's yeah. two free weekends, isn't it? So um, yeah, looking forward to them. The only thing is that at the end of two free weekends, I'm going to have to remind myself that it's not the end of the season, and so you kind of you can't you can't completely relax. But no, it's just it's been I've incredibly had... stop start this year. Oh, it really, this it's season. felt really stop start, and mm. I, I think um, on a on a slightly different tangent that. They're going to have to have another look about, you know, this scheduling of the FA Cup, aren't they? Because this is this is crazy what's going on. And, and 
But we've got also, slower winter break isn't it, coming in. Well, the next I, I was, was going to say about that, Steve, as well, because I think that's the other thing. You know, particularly with Saints, we always end up playing ten games in fifteen days over Christmas, and then we, you know, one game in six weeks uh, in March or something. Don't we? It's ridiculous. Yep. It's, Slight yeah, exaggeration. It's but, that, well, that um, the season when when we were in got to the League Cup final was absolutely nuts because obviously the first yeah. half of the season we had the had the Europa League games, which were which obviously meant that every every week was was playing Sunday Thursday just constantly. And then we have we were the ones that got shafted with the the biggest fixture pile up over Christmas with what was it four games in nine I days I think I know something like that I bet, then, I bet Kevin Friend yeah, was in charge of scheduling almost certainly <laughs> and then um, once we got to the League Cup final we then had I think we had, we only had like one game in a month I know and it was yeah it's just nuts there we go and uh, you're obviously off to watch England Steve so uh, you going to both games. Yeah, so uh yes, yeah, so we've got Czech Republic at home on the on the Friday night and then uh Montenegro away on the Monday. Excellent. So well good. Safe travels and enjoy them and uh yeah, we'll uh, we'll catch up. The three of us will be back after uh, the Brighton game. Uh, we may well do a podcast as I say with Glenn Cockrell and if we can get Adam away from some work uh, during the period as well. But until then, get in there, Saints fans and uh, keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans